So I want to read a couple of scriptures to you from the book of Colossians, talking about how Christ is exalted. And starting in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of God, image of the invisible God, the firstborn, or the preeminent one of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the alpha. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And he is the image of God. Later on, as we go down just a little bit farther, uh, down to about verse 26, it says that uh, Paul was given a, a stewardship, an administration from God to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I kind of want to talk about the image of God in us today. Uh, to get there, we're going to go on a little journey, though. Uh, so uh, I was inspired yesterday by Pastor Ron's message on uh, biblical overlays, as he called it, where you uh, think about um, particular uh, Bible characters as exemplars or types, uh, symbols of the activities of God uh, that he is working in our lives and how Moses could represent God, Joshua, Jesus, and that sort of thing. Overlays is uh, how Pastor Ron called it. Um, other uh, ways, other folks call them uh, thematic motifs, or more technically, it's in the field of biblical theology. And, uh, but once you make these types of connections, where you make the overlays or you follow thematic structures through the Bible, then it begins to open up the Bible for you. And you don't just read it as just a, an isolated verse, like your verse for the day, your promise box verse, right? But we have to read the Bible thematically. We have to read the Bible with these great overarching ideas in, in view so that we begin to make connections, right? So then, for example, when Jesus in John is talking about how, um, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it up. Of course, the Jews thought, well, he's talking about the physical temple, you know, and of course he wasn't. John tells us, you know, that he's actually talking about the temple, which is his body, right? So, uh, and then he says, and you will see angels in descending on the Son of Man, right? So immediately the illusion goes back to Genesis when uh, Jacob has a dream at Bethel. He falls asleep on the rock, and he has this vision of the ladder extending from heaven down to earth and angels ascending and descending upon it. And it also ties in the understanding of the idea of the Son of Man, who is in Daniel, this mysterious a God-man figure who is able to approach the throne of the Ancient of Days and exhibit great authority, right? So that was Jesus' favorite designation for himself, Son of Man. 
So the, re the reason I'm illustrating this is so that when we read Scripture, that we're not just reading it in isolation and wondering, what on earth did Jesus mean when he said that? What on earth did John mean when he wrote that? But we make these connections that were already extant, already existent in the minds of people, right? So that in the ancient Near Eastern idea, uh, in their mindset, they are already making these connections, these overlays, these motifs, right? And so what we have to do is kind of get inside their mind uh, and their culture in order to better understand Scripture, lest we read it like a 21st century American, all right? We've got to read Scripture the way it was uh, put together, and it was put together on purpose. It was not just hodgepodge. So there are other examples of these thematic structures. For example, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? So as we go thematically through the scripture, we see creation, and then we see man's fall, or the, the problem with man's sin. We see how God provided to deal with man's sin through the redemptive process, which included sacrifice and blood, and the need for holiness, and a way to express that worship unto God. And then we see ultimately God's plan of restoring, restoring, getting back to the garden. Kind of those of you that are old enough to remember Joni Mitchell, how she said, you know, we are stardust and we've got to get back to the garden, right? That's <laughs> a very old song, old folk song, but, but the idea is that God created us, right, with purpose. And he planted man in a garden and he told him to subdue it and he told him to essentially, as he was created as God's image, he was to reflect the image of God within the garden and walk with God in the garden. So in many respects, we don't have time to explore it all, but in many respects, Eden was actually a temple, all right? And Adam was a priest walking within the temple in the presence of God and called to emulate and demonstrate and to subdue the rest of the earth. Because outside of the garden, there was stuff that had to be subdued, right? And the garden had to be guarded and tended. And the failure of Adam and Eve when they imaged in their image practice, in their uh, obedience to the commands of God, they failed to guard the garden against the serpent's intrusion, right? And so we, if we're going to apply this practically, as the image bearers of God, as Christ is in us, the hope of glory, we need to tend to our garden, to God's garden, his church, and we need to expand the bounds of the church and subdue the wildness that's outside and to prevent the serpent, Satan, from encroaching within our sacred space, right? And somehow stopping the proper imaging of God, making him manifest to the rest of the world, okay? So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And again, I've mentioned the image of God. So the image of God relative to idolatry, all right? So we think about uh, in what way do, does man express God when he is disconnected from Almighty God? He, he uses idols to express these ideas, right? And so idolatry is an expression of man in worship to a false god or to themselves, right? Man creates an image when he was meant to reflect an image, right? 
And, and uh, so man creates these false idols. And I remember being in Nepal and walking into the hotel after a long day of ministry, Felicia and I, and uh, there was these uh, Tibetan priests there. And uh, they, there was these large uh, stone statues inside the hotel, and they had some guy playing one of those weird-sounding violins, you know, that you hear all over Asia. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we saw these guys, and they're in these robes and shaven, and, and they're, they're moving, and they're laying hands on these rock idols, you know, laying hands on them. And what they're doing is they are reinvigorating the demons that are said to be around those idols, right? Because the building was dedicated, right, with those dedication stones and the demon presence, the actual idol, is underneath the stone, right? And so they come in every once in a while, lay their hands on it to sort of re-stir the demons that are connected to that idol worship. And you know, <laughs> what should we do, right? We're the image bearers of Christ. What do we need to do? We need to lay hands on each other, right? And pray for the Spirit of God to be imparted and reinvigorated in our lives so that we can properly image God and not uh, fall into idolatry. It's just a, an idea, right? I remember also being in India, and you guys have probably seen it, and... and uh, I remember driving way out in the country, and uh, there was this group of guys that had this, uh, this portable throne with them, and they were carrying it on their shoulders, just like the Old Testament priests did. And they had this little stone idol set up in this beautiful bed surrounded by all these uh, colorful blankets and, and flowers and fragrances and everything else. And they were carrying that God as they ran along. They're carrying that God from one village to the next to celebrate some, that God's particular festival and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, I remembered how God commanded that the ark of his presence was to be carried on the shoulders of the priests, right? The difference is Jesus is real. <laughs> they do it to serve a false god. And so we have to properly image to the nations what real worship is, right? We carry the image of Christ. Man was to reflect and install and image God's work to the rest of the world. Jesus is called the last Adam and the second man, right? And so he is the perfect image of God. He is the express identical image of his person, it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And it says, talking about the Son, who is Jesus, long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So there he's, he's active right at the beginning. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that beautiful? He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. This is what ultimately we will be, right? Ultimately, Jesus will transform us and we'll be made like him. We won't become him. We won't become God or gods. We don't believe that. But we believe that we will perfectly image 
the Son of God who is the ultimate exact imprint of God's very nature. Amen? So the church is God's temple and image. Then we saw then exploring another theme, and that is temple themes. Let's think about temple themes in the Bible. And I'm just giving you an example so that when you approach the Bible, you can think thematically, okay? So we see, as I've mentioned, that Eden is a temple. God walks back and forth in his garden, in his temple. Um, That particular Hebrew phrase is used a number of times and always in connection with temple work and worship, right? And man is to keep it and guard it and to subdue the earth and to bring the presence of God to the rest of the world. Then we think of the tabernacle of Moses, all right? So if we think of the tabernacle of Moses and how it had the tripartite nature, right? a tripartite design, right? Three parts to it. The outer, this outer fence, protective fence, right? And had a gate, right? And, uh, and then it had a piece of furniture called the, the brass altar and then a laver. And then it had a separate building, the actual tabernacle proper, that was divided into two. And inside it, it had the table of show, it had the candlestick, the lampstand, the table of showbread, I'm sorry, the altar of incense, like that. And then, and then we had had a table with some bread on it, right? So we had these three pieces of furniture. And then in here, you all know this, they had um, the all, all, Ark of the Covenant, and on top was the mercy seat. And then it had cherubims. I'm not even going to try. I have no idea. Fake cherubims there. Okay. So tripartite temple of God, not unlike the other, the rest of the designs, even in the temple of Solomon, even in Ezekiel's temple, uh, even in the restored temple after the Babylonian captivity, this idea. So its threefold structure was even prophetic as time. So when we look at the outside, the outside of the outer outer court, this outside wall here, when you take the whole area of this cloth fence that was tall and and had pillars and everything else there's so much meaning in that but the entire area of that was about 1500 um, about 1500 square cubits of material okay so if we think about that as being representative of and of course this was all given in association with God downloading it at Sinai telling Moses what to do giving him the law as well as telling him to build a place for God to live so if we think about this square area of the material then when you come up to 1500 1500 represents the amount of years from Moses to Christ all right generally speaking all right so it's prophetic so the temple is prophetic so as we are imaging God and we're the temple of God, we should be prophetic to our generations, right? We should be demonstrating the things that pertain to God. And then uh, measuring, for example, the holy place, this part here is 2,000 cubic cubits, okay? 2,000 cubic cubits. So prophetically, it could represent the church age right in approximation you have 1500 years for from abram uh, from from moses to christ you have 2000 years of 
church activity in which we receive illumination on the Word of God. And the only source of illumination was the lampstand within this thing. It was covered in, it was covered in gold, right? So it's indicative of the temple in the book of Revelation as well because there is transparent gold, right? And there are cherubim that are beautifully carved into the woven fabric of this veil that separates these two, por- these two portions, right? And you have praise and worship and intercession going on, and you're feasting at the bread of life, which is the Word of God, and you have the illumination and leading of the Holy Spirit, which is essential for all of these things to go on, and that's an approximate 2,000-year period, right? So then within the, the Holy of Holies, you have, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which carries so many wonderful things, and you have cherubim there. It's, it's in Ezekiel. You can read about it in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10. You can read about it in the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and 5 and that sort of thing. You can see all of that. Well, the approximate uh, area of this is 1,000. So, representative of the millennial age, right? The millennial age when Christ sets up his kingdom. And this is God's chariot, as we read about in Ezekiel, guarded by the cherubim. Where else do we see cherubim? They guard the Garden of Eden, right? And so all of this is temple language. So we have Eden as a temple. We have the tabernacle of Moses as a temple. The Levitical priests were tasked to literally keep and guard it. It's the same phraseology as God told Adam in the garden. Guard and keep the the stuff to do with this holy place here. Amen. Ezekiel's temple. We have the temple of Solomon that has jewels and priests and cherubim and the presence of God. And it's such a reflection of Yahweh's glory that when the queen of Sheba comes, it takes her breath away. Shouldn't we be like that? May God so fill us and give us the anointing and the grace in our lives and a word of wisdom for our day that when the pagans get around us, they know something's different about us and we can tell them the beautiful story of how God became man to reconcile them to him. And so spread the glory of God. Ezekiel's temple has a river that flows out from underneath the throne of God. And on either bank of that river are trees for the healing, with leaves for the healing of the nations. Very reminiscent of the Revelation uh, of Revelation 22. And, and that river goes out and restores and brings life literally to the Dead Sea. Beautiful. How should we be, Right? We're God's temple. So that river of life that Jesus promised would be in us, you know, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. But this he was saying of the Spirit, which was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the river needs to flow out from us. Where Jesus is on his throne, the throne of our hearts, right? And so we become living temples. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the images of God. Glory to his name. Ancient Near Eastern kings used to um, place large images of themselves in all the lands that they conquered as reminders to the inhabitants as to who had conquered them. 
and uh, often the idol gods of the nations, once their images were carved, they were birthed, actually, through a process. That, and this process is known as the opening of the mouth and the washing of the mouth. It was mimicking the human birth process. And uh, they would wipe the nostrils and mouth and wash it with water. The stonemasons, once they had carved, once, they had, once the priests essentially had decided, you know, giving the word from the gods that they needed to create an image, an idol of that god, the stonemasons would go to work and carve the image. And then after they were done, they would they would wrap up all of their tools and their hammers and chisels and everything else, and they would dispose of them so that there would, could be no appearance that the idol was made by human hands, right? And then the idol was, was taken out and had to spend the night in a garden. And once it had spent the night in the garden, then the next morning... They would go through the washing of the mouth ritual and the opening of the mouth ritual and then present the idol as the new god to the people with written covenants that were issued by the priesthood of the day. That's how idols were birthed. They represented authority and kingdom and presence. Well, we're the image of God. We need to represent Christ's authority and his presence and his purposes in the earth. Amen. The Roman Emperor Vespasian constructed what was called the Temple in Passis, the Temple of Peace in Rome. Some of you that went to Rome on your way back from India probably actually walked by the ruins and may not have even known that you were walking by those ruins. Um, and uh, this, this gigantic garden also had a library, and it had uh, plants from every sector of the Roman Empire, and it was put on display, and it was built ostensibly in celebration of the fact that the wars over who was going to be emperor next was, was completed, and Vespasian arose as the final, the final, you know, summation of all of that contest. So Vespasian, the Flavian dynasty is what it's known, so Vespasian, in celebration of the peace of Rome, made this garden. But in actual fact, as Pliny the Elder writes about different plants from all over the Roman Empire, all, a number of which were included in the temple garden, this peace garden that Vespasian built, it was actually a declaration. The Roman aegis, the Roman power and authority extends over all of this over all lands from wherever these flowers came, wherever the, the uh, library articles came from, wherever the scrolls came from, and also it was the place where they put uh, the articles from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem that Titus took after they completely destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And, it, you can, and some of you saw the triumphal arch in Rome, and when you look up at the triumphal arch, you see the pictures of them carrying the, the, the lampstand or, or whatever articles they had stolen, so to speak, they had taken from the Jewish temple, right? Well, they put those on display in the Temple of Peace, and then they erected a god, which they called Pax, that was on this huge pedestal. So what am I saying by all of this? If we don't serve Jesus 
And if we don't carry his image to other people through the gospel of Christ and the impartation of the Holy Spirit that comes through faith in Jesus, if we don't win them to Jesus, they're going to construct their own idols. They're going to erect victory monuments to their own gods and call them peace and safety when they don't know that sudden destruction will suddenly come upon them. We have got to do a good job of being witnesses for Jesus. Amen? So gardens and gods and worship and image are all connected just as they were with Adam in Eden. So I just want to encourage you today. Let's image God. Amen? Let's properly image God. Let's realize we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, let's, let's go and subdue the earth. You know, I have to work hard at subduing the stuff around my house. The wasps keep invading, rats try to get in, bugs come from everywhere, they're trying to destroy my wife's okra plants in her garden. You know, you, you just have to work, right? And so that's what we do. We work for Jesus until he comes, and we keep back, keep the enemy at bay, and we serve him. Amen. Amen.